Isn't it so encouraging and uh, motivating to know that all of what we just sung, all of that is taking place when we open the Word of God together on Sunday morning. It's really amazing. And we trust and we believe that the Holy Spirit is applying to each and every believer who is gathered exactly what he or she needs for their week ahead. He feeds us, he nourishes us from the goodness of his word. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I think it is. Absolutely. Well, I don't know uh, about you all, but uh, we have a new memory verse for the month of November that we can say together that uh, it's been really encouraging as we've continued in our study of 1 Corinthians. I've been encouraged about the gifts and the various gifts that God gives his church. We're going to learn about some of those today, but let's go ahead and memorize together our verse from chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. The gifts that God gives really are given so that we might strive in excelling in the building up of the church. I heard a gift yesterday. I heard a gift yesterday. We had a great seminar here. That was a gift. We had a lot of people participate and attend. Uh, we uh, had a homegoing celebration for Bob Russell yesterday. His life was a gift to us, and he knew Jesus as his Savior, which was a gift to him. Uh, there's another gift that I heard yesterday, and it was when I got in my car. Uh, I got in my car, and it was the gift of silence. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't. Although, although that is a nice gift in my car. It is a great place of escape, um, the car. But I, I turned on the car, and uh, the radio was on. And 103.3 was on the radio because somebody was in my car listening to Christmas music already. And uh, so there was another gift. It's, it's not even Thanksgiving yet, folks. I... I don't know how that's happened, but here we are. And I, I just think it was incredible. I was thinking about this on my walk last night because of hearing Christmas music so early. Isn't it, isn't it amazing that even the unbelieving world cannot wait to proclaim the birth of our Savior? Isn't that amazing? I'm just shocked and encouraged and motivated by it in just one other way that God is, is at work uh, in our world. Because on the way into the church yesterday for the seminar, I heard some beautiful songs attesting to the birth of our Savior on a radio station that typically doesn't play uh, Christian music. And so again, just a, another testimony of God at work in and around us. Over our next three weeks leading up to our Advent series, we're going to be working through the portion of Paul's letter that is identified as chapter 12. And since we are at the beginning of a new chapter, I thought it would be a good practice for us to pause and to just reorient our minds around how these letters were written to churches and how they were actually received by the churches that they were written to. And this is going to become an increasingly uh, important reality for us to, to better understand uh, how Paul's instructions are working themselves out in the communities that he's writing to. We've already mentioned at the beginning of the series that Corinth was part of the Roman world. 
when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, it would have been as if he was writing to the church in Lancaster County, which is a part of the state of Pennsylvania. The letter would have been written. It would have then been sent along with a messenger to the city that the letter was intended for. The messenger's job was then to take the letter and move from gathering to gathering. Oftentimes these gatherings were meeting in houses. Sometimes these gatherings were meeting in public spaces. And their job was to read the letter out loud as a part of the public gathering. Most often, scholars have determined that they would read an entire letter in one visit. Now think about that today. Imagine if I said, hey, instead of the sermon today... Uh, we're just going to break open the book of Romans. And I'm going to read the whole thing to you. No one's laughing. I get, okay. Well, let's do it then. All right, now. That's how it would go. And, and that messenger, they'd go into the church and they would read an entire letter. They would do the best job. And it was men and women who, who did this job. We know of Phoebe who did this in Romans. We know of others who did this in other places. They would do their best job to then answer any questions that would have come as the letter was read. And Paul begins in this portion of his letter, he is beginning with general insights regarding the spiritual gifts. These were instructions or insights that he was given for all of the churches that were gathered throughout the city of Corinth. And so this morning, we're going to explore verses 1 to 11. Next week, Paul is going to talk about how God brings many different members together as one body and how God has arranged gifts within the body for his glory. And then finally, in the third week that we spend in this chapter, Paul is going to address the indispensable nature of all of the gifts and remind us how God is at work through his gifts so that we might be building one another up in love. And so throughout the metropolis of Corinth, many churches are scattered, meeting in homes and other spaces. Each one, as they gather, is starting to look and starting to function just a bit differently than the next. And as the gatherings throughout the city began to look different and different gifts were being practiced among the brothers and the sisters who had gathered, how could one know if a gathering or an assembly was truly one of God's, was truly part of the body of Christ or not? In the portion of Paul's letter we're going to look at today, Paul's desire is to answer questions related to how one might identify an assembly that is truly able to practice the grace gifts. How those gifts work themselves out within our faith communities, why those gifts are given, what some of those gifts are, and who is the one who gives and empowers our gifts so that they may be used to build one another up. All of these questions Paul will uncover as we look at this text today before we dive in. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you how you use it uh, in such mighty ways in our lives. Uh, it's such a wonderful testimony that you are still with us. Uh, you are among us. You are at work. You're at work when your word is proclaimed, when it's taught, uh, when we study it in small groups. 
uh, you are at work, Lord, and your spirit is moving in and through each and every one of us. And today we get to look at the ways that you have gifted us and uh, the ways in which you are empowering us to uh, carry out the plans that you have for the people you bring into our lives. Uh, Lord, what an incredible gift that you would uh, choose to use us, your people, uh, to accomplish work that you have in other people's lives. I don't know how that works. I know that you are intimately involved in it, Father, and I know the gifts that you give us have some part and parcel to play in it, but uh, Lord, we are thankful. Uh, we're thankful that your grace is manifesting itself in our faith community in this way, that we can see that you're alive and you're active and you're working as we share our gifts with one another and you use them to build our community that we might be salt, that we might be a light uh, to this community that we're a part of. Uh, help us to see these things today as we look into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. This is Paul writing. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Paul is going to begin by answering this question. Who is actually able to practice the spiritual gifts. And just a few paragraphs back, Paul alluded in chapter 11, verse 19, to some of the divisions that were necessary so that those who were genuine among the churches could be recognized. Jump back there to, to verse 19 of chapter 11, where Paul says this, For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Coming into this portion of his letter then, as the church grew and spread throughout Corinth, there were many who were gathering who were claiming to be what we would say, in the Greek it was known as ekklesia, or called out gatherings or assemblies. And starting back in chapter 11 and moving now into chapter 12, Paul is giving us indicators related to how we might identify which of those gatherings actually belongs as members to the body of Christ. The first we studied in chapter 11. It was related to practicing the Lord's Supper 
with a proper heart and a proper posture and attitude. And the second, Paul is identifying in chapter 12, verse 3. Take a look again. He says this in verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The grace of God poured out on the people that he was gathering unto himself, empowered the people to speak real wisdom and real courage, living as salt and light within their broader communities, proclaiming the death of Jesus in the patterns of practicing our Lord's Supper and proclaiming Jesus as Lord as they gathered to worship God and build one another up through the various expressions of their gifts. In the real churches that were scattered throughout Corinth, their true Lord was not Caesar. It was no longer Caesar as it once had been, but now rather it was Jesus. Jesus was Lord. Jesus is Lord. Amen. The mute idols of the pagan temple past could never move pagan worshipers past Caesar. Pagan worshipers were entrapped and entrenched in Caesar as Lord. They could never proclaim Jesus as Lord. In fact, many of those temples were actually built to keep people under the subjugation of Caesar. In those temples then, ones that were dedicated to false gods and idols, Jesus was accursed as a man who committed treason against Caesar and his own people who justly received the penalty of his crimes. So in verse 3, Paul is drawing us to this reality that no one is able to say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And in this verse, isn't it amazing that he's drawing, he does this multiple times in this text, by the way. He's drawing on all three members of the Godhead in helping us identify which gatherings were truly to be considered as the body of Christ. So here's what we have. A true ecclesia or church or called out people is a people who are gathered by and speaking in the spirit of God, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. And once Paul's established this foundation of here's what a real church does, a real church gathers, a real church practices the Lord's Supper together. They do it with wholesome patterns and right attitudes and good postures. And a real church proclaims Jesus as Lord. Once he lays that foundation, he can now move further in to address questions related to the nature and the purpose of the gifts. Why are these gifts given to the church? Let's take a look again at verses four to six. Here's what he said. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. The gifts in the church, friends are manifest evidence of God's grace within our communities. They are powerful 
and multifaceted ways in which God's grace continues to be revealed as we are practicing our faith in community with one another. And again, in verses four to six, we see Paul drawing on all three members of the Godhead. The gifts are given in the same spirit, by the same Lord, and empowered by the same living God. Paul's use of the word same here three times reminds us and reminded the people of God in Corinth that the nature of the living God was very, very different than the nature of the pagan gods that they had once known. The living God is not separate. He is same. He is one God in three persons, three in one. He is same. God's gifts are given, though, in variety, through the same Spirit, by the same Lord, empowered by the one who is the same true living God. And Paul uses three descriptions to describe God's grace in verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, there are varieties of service, and there are varieties of activities. And so with God empowering the gifts in all people, we can be confident then that when a person who claims Jesus as Lord is using their gifts to serve the church, that their activity is for our good and for God's glory. Paul says it this way in verse seven. Take a look. Why are the gifts given? Here's what he says. To each is given a manifestation of the spirit for what? What is it given for? The common good. The common good. So then, not only are our gifts a testimony of God's grace alive and active within our communities, but they also testify to his living and active presence among us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Each believer is gifted according to the Spirit for the common good. Others benefit. Church, this is amazing. Many of you know this. Many of you have experienced this. I grew up in faith communities where I benefited immensely from people in my community who were willing to share their giftedness with me, whether it was teaching, whether it was serving, whatever it might be, whenever it was needed, God provided and it benefited me. It benefited my family. Many of you have benefited when people have used their gifts to help encourage and edify you. So what are some of these gifts and how do they or how did they work within the church to build up the body of Christ? Paul is now going to move into a bit of show and tell related to the gifts. Now, I don't, I don't know about you all, but when we do Christmas uh, in the Lenhart family growing up, Christmas was like a like a, a full week event almost. It was very, very well celebrated. Uh, many of you probably very similar love Christmas. And in each of the homes that we would celebrate Christmas in, it was a little bit different with the gifts, right? And so in one of my grandparents' homes, we would sit in a big circle and everyone would take a turn opening one of the gifts. And when they would open one of the gifts that they were given, it wasn't good enough for everybody to see the gift. The gift actually had to be taken out of the box, if the light assembly, it had to be lightly assembled. If it was a candle, the commandment was everyone must smell it and determine that the smell was good. 
And, and so Paul is in, in some ways moving into the text here into somewhat of a show and tell of some of the different gifts that are within the church. Now, it's important we recognize he's not examining every gift here. This is not meant to be an exhaustive list. There are gifts that he mentions in other places that he doesn't include here. And perhaps there's some gifts that he doesn't mention at all. We don't know. As Paul writes to a specific church that is gathered in a specific city, it's likely that he has in view here the gifts that were most common and most utilized within their context as they were gathering. So what are some of the spiritual gifts? Within Christian faith communities spread throughout the world, before we dive into this, I just want to say there are a myriad of views on the spiritual gifts. So many. In some Christian faith communities, as you know, they practice all of the spiritual gifts listed in the Bible. While others believe that some of the spiritual gifts are no longer in use or that they have ceased. There are still others that believe that in some places and at some time, some of the more miraculous or what we call sign gifts may still be used of God to help establish his church where it has not yet been established. I will say this, church. Over the years, I have come to appreciate, love, and respect my brothers and sisters who see differently than I do on the matters of gifts. And while we may still disagree on which gifts are still active and normative for the American church, I still find myself worshiping with them and have worshiped together with those who proclaim Jesus as Lord and disagree. Wherever we find ourselves in this world, in the community of believers, we will find people genuinely exercising the gifts that they believe they have been given by God. Many doing so in an edifying way for God's glory and for the good of those in their faith communities. And through the exercising of their gifts, God is still at work in building up his church. My own personal posture towards these matters as Jesus has worked on me has the has been to find myself to be much less concerned with which gifts may or may not still be in use and much more concerned about how we're using the gifts that we've been given, whichever gifts those may be. God's grace, church, is given for our common good and his glory. And I have found in my life that my gratitude and my appreciation of God grows when I am celebrating how his grace is at work within our communities rather than dissecting or dismissing those who experiencing who experience his grace in perhaps ways that I don't fully understand or comprehend. So with that caveat. Let's dive into the list that Paul presents us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are nine gifts here. If you're an underliner, you may be able to find all nine of them. They're in verses 8 to 10. Let's, let's read them. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith in the same spirit. Look at what Paul's doing here with this word spirit, bringing them all together. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. 
So we're going to unpack some of these different gifts today. We're going to look at some of them individually, and we're going to look at some of them in pairs, starting with wisdom and knowledge. Paul has talked about both wisdom and knowledge in his letter already. He has mentioned that there's a particular kind of wisdom that comes from God, and there's a particular kind of knowledge that puffs up. These supernatural gifts, the gifts of wisdom and knowledge, they're able to harness the great depths of God's wisdom and knowledge that's available to us in a way that can be used to build up the body of Christ. I have been around people who are young and old who exhibit wisdom and knowledge that is beyond my comprehension. Have you ever been with somebody who's young and used the phrase, that person is wise beyond what? Wise beyond their years. You ever been with someone like that? I I knew a brother in Christ like that. He was my age. And yet everywhere I'd find myself with him, he would hardly ever say a thing. In fact, he was very, very quiet. But when he spoke, it was always the most profound and deep thing. I really believe that this was a way that God had gifted him wisdom, knowledge, knowing how to use our words to frame concepts and to draw conclusions and make observations and give insights that aid the church in moving from point A to point B in life or in their spiritual walk. This is a very valuable gift for the church. And perhaps this is what Paul has in view when he talks about the gift of utterances of wisdom and knowledge. And we have to be careful that these things do not serve to puff us up. I've been around people like that before. People whose wisdom and knowledge is a source of pride for them. Who want to be identified by all the things that come at the end of their name. Rather than using their knowledge and their wisdom to just serve And to build up the church. The second gift that Paul talks about is the gift of faith. And in verse 9, this this gift cannot be identical to the gift of saving faith. Which all believers are given at the moment of salvation. Something more is happening here. This is more. We all have a gift of faith that is given at the moment of salvation. But there is something greater here in this gift. This is a kind of unwavering powerful, moving faith that that actually motivates boldness and courage and maybe even faith in others. It's a kind of faith that finds streams in the desert and sees how God is able to make a way when the world or the circumstance says there is no way. Have you ever been around a person of great faith? Sometimes it's annoying because it's like you, you, you think, oh, man, like you're looking at something. There's no way that this is ever. And he's like, oh, no, it's good. Like this is this is going to happen. We can do it. And, and someone that just has great, unquenchable faith. It just exudes from them. They just go through life. And it seems like they're always believing, always trusting, always hoping, always living with this confidence that God is going to come through in some miraculous way. And they just live like that. And it's very motivating and it's very encouraging. We have to be careful as we go through this list that we don't group these gifts in a way that might make them sound like one grouping of gifts is more important or valuable than the other. All the gifts are necessary. The next grouping of gifts in this list we tend in the church to call miraculous gifts. 
And I think that the challenge with that is that it does a disservice to the rest of the gifts. The reality, church, is this. All of the gifts that Paul is mentioning and addressing here in this part of his letter are by their very nature supernatural or miraculous in the sense that we don't come by these naturally and we don't develop these by our own strengths or our own efforts. All the gifts are given by God and they're not given according to our natural strength or abilities or efforts, but rather they're given according to his purposes for the common good of our faith community. Right. And, and so there's this mentality out there. And I was part of this growing up that if I as a young, I think I was probably in ninth grade when I took my first spiritual gifts inventory. Anybody in here take a spiritual gifts inventory? Go ahead. It's okay. Look around. I put my hand up. Some of you raise your hand. Not many of you. Good. Don't take one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but they can be very damaging because as a young, as a young person in high school, you're put, this paper's put before you and you fill it out and you're supposed to somehow come to a determination by this piece of paper paper of how you're gifted. But all of the questions on the paper have to do with your natural gifts and abilities. And, and again, the reality of the gifting is that they are supernatural gifts supernatural that are given by God that we don't earn that that may or may not involve our natural gifting or ability. I've watched this, friends. I've watched people come to Christ, the Lord, draw people to himself and save them. And all of a sudden, somebody who was a very quiet, introverted person who everyone here would have said, oh, they have the gift of serving or have this or that gift. All of a sudden, they become an incredible speaker proclaiming the wonders and the majesties of God. I don't know how that works. That wasn't what was seeming to be their natural giftedness. But supernaturally, it's a gift that God gives. And so I, I don't want to discourage you from spiritual gifts inventories. I just just use them as what they are, a human tool that may help point us in a direction towards ways that we've been gifted and how God may be able to work through the gifting that we have. They're not all bad. They're not all good. They're just also not um, uh, inspired or inerrant in that manner. So with that, we move into the next set of six gifts. And Paul has in view here healing and miracles. And this is physical healing. Uh, or, or the physical healing uh, of an infirmity or a disease or a disability. Uh, but again, the reality was that if a person was or is healed, it is not for the glory of the one who has healed them. And that is sometimes the challenge that we see in the church today. Friends, with, with some of the folks that claim to practice and have these gifts, sometimes when we watch people who believe that they have these gifts and we're practicing them, it appears that they want all the glory to come to them. And it's not about God or the good of the church. If a person was healed, the glory was to go to God. It's for God's glory and for the good of the one who's been healed, not for the one doing the healing. Closely related to this gift, then, we have the gift of miracles. And these could be miracles like the ones that Jesus did uh, with the disciples. We think of the feeding of the 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and a few fishes. Uh, absolutely miraculous gift. 
Um, perhaps, though, even different kinds of miracles. Supernatural occurrences that serve to bring glory to God in the building up of his people. Then we have prophecy. And again, much has been said about this gift. There is much confusion about this gift in the church today. Uh, but often when we talk about this gift, we ignore the testimony of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was filled with prophets. The prophetic voice in the Old Testament was a voice of warning to those who were complacent and comfortable. It was a voice of comfort to the downcast and marginalized or oppressed in society. And ultimately, prophecy served to remind the people that God is completely faithful to his character. That he is the God he is in the past and is the same God as he is right now. And it's the God that he will ultimately be in the future too. Prophecy then foretold the future, but it did so in a way that completely aligned with the character of God. So that when what was spoken came to pass, it was God and not the prophet that was glorified. It was the prophetic voice that was very frequently the most hated among those who considered themselves as spiritual or the religious elite. For one reason, because it was a voice that spoke truth in elevating the position of the lowly and bringing down positions of those who considered themselves to be above or to be better than. The prophetic voice to those in comfortable places was a voice that served to disrupt or disturb or even threaten the meticulous empires or kingdoms that they were building. The most powerful prophetic voice that we have in the New Testament, apart from Jesus' voice, is probably John the Baptist. And indeed, uh, it was the thrust of his message, and very early on in his ministry, we're invited to see how disrupted the Pharisees were by what he had to say. They were not happy. The Pharisees did not like John the Baptist or his message very much. John the Baptist brought forth a prophetic voice from the Old Testament into the New. And he used the words of Isaiah from the Old Testament. He said, now is the time. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall become straight. The rough places now level. All flesh will soon see the salvation of God. And speaking about the voice of the prophets, it's very interesting what Jesus said. Right? Mark chapter 6, verse 4. Many of us know this. A prophet is not without honor except where? In his own home. Among his relatives. And in his own household. Wow. Not a voice that people really were excited to hear. John the Baptist, you remember, he was killed for his message. And so too were many of the early prophets. And if the prophetic gift is still alive and active in the church today, perhaps it is heard in the voices that most disturb and disrupt us in what is often our culturally comfortable versions of Christianity. We tend to think of the prophetic voice as being one that reveals future events. But today we have the completed canon of scriptures. The end has already been made clear to us. So we have no need for new or greater revelation. God has spoken once and for all through his son, Jesus, who makes God known to us. Perhaps then the gift of prophecy today is more of truth telling than foretelling. 
In chapter 14, which we'll get to in a number of weeks, Paul gives further insight into this gift when he uses these words. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for what? Their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. It is the prophetic voice then, as Paul goes on to describe, that is committed to upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. In the church today, friends, uh, I see this most closely aligned to what we would identify as the gift of preaching. Uh, being able to proclaim the truths of God uh, in, in a very real and relevant way. Bringing in the old and the new. Considering how God's word unpacks itself in our communities and how it's relevant uh, to our lives today. The next gift that Paul identifies in this list is the distinguishing of the Spirit. So Paul follows prophecy with this gift that was probably closely related, the distinguishing between spirits. Uh, perhaps it's the gift that Paul has in view in Acts chapter 16. Some of us remember this account. Paul and Silas are going around the city and, and they're proclaiming the word of the Lord. And this slave girl begins to follow them. Do you remember this? Some of you are nodding your heads. Some of you remember. And, and the, the, the young girl is saying, these men are servants of the Most High who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And while what she was saying was true... She was not saying it in the right spirit. And if you remember, throughout Acts 16, she continues to follow them around for many days, kind of um, just saying this line over and over again until Paul finally gets annoyed at her and turns around and commands the spirit of divination that was in her to come out. Paul was able in that moment in Acts 16 to discern the spirit. Perhaps then discerning the spirits is the ability to know when a person is saying something with the wrong spirit and helping them to correct the spirit behind their words. The final two gifts that Paul lists in this particular list are tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And again, there has been much ink spilled on the gift of tongues. You can go and you can read volumes and volumes and volumes of literature talking about the gift of tongues, whether it's used in the church today or not used, what it actually was, what it wasn't, all these things. We are not going to determine this morning which faith community has it right or wrong. Rather, we are able to make some observations regarding how Paul identified it. And the first is this. Wherever we see the gift of tongues, which I believe was languages, we always see its companion gift, which is the interpretation of those languages. Those two gifts walk together in the church. So we can determine that if this gift of tongues was used in a public worship setting, that it would uh, it would work best together with its companion so that all might benefit by what was being said. With this then, it would appear that this must be considered some known language. For if it was an unknown language, it would have been hard to imagine that there would have been a person who was present to help interpret it. And if you think about it, in the community of Corinth, this gift made sense. Corinth was located on an isthmus. I'm not sure if I say that word right. I hope I do. It's got THs in there and places that they shouldn't be and all kinds of things. But uh, I try. It was located on one of those pieces of land. And uh, throughout, throughout their existence, people traveled 
regularly from all over the world for trade and for commerce. And so it's not at all outside our view to believe that on any given Sunday in Corinth or whatever day they were worshiping, someone could have been present in the congregation that did not speak the language that was being spoken in the popular language or from the front that day. And so you needed people and there were people with this giftedness in the church that could both speak other languages in a miraculous way and also interpret the language that was being spoken by somebody who was visiting the church on that given day or at that given time. In sense, then somebody who was visiting a church from another location or another area could still then be part in that service of the building up and the edification of the body of Christ because the language that they were speaking, though it was not commonly known by the people who were gathered, could have been interpreted by somebody who was there so that it could have been understood by those who heard. I, I had the opportunity to do this one time, not speak in tongues. Um, and not interpret tongues, but I had an interpreter. I was speaking uh, in a Spanish church and uh, actually had time, an, an opportunity to do this multiple times, but once in particular to a congregation that uh, was entirely uh, uh, Hispanic and, and spoke Spanish. That is a gift. I will tell you, I had uh, on two occasions when I did it in that church, I had a man interpret for me the first Sunday that I preach, and I had a woman interpret for me the second Sunday that I taught. And I can tell you that uh, the people who were there that Sunday were very thankful for them. Because <laughs> they would not have understood a word of what I was saying from the pulpit. I, I was even hesitant to accept the opportunity to come and to preach because I thought, how could God possibly use me? I don't even speak the language of these people. And he said, it's his word. It's not you, and we're going to translate. And, uh, and it really... It, it worked in a really incredible way. I was really bad at it the first time. I kept interrupting the translator because I thought they were done. And, uh, and another thing is I felt really awkward standing up there being quiet while they talked. And so I would, I would look and I would say, yeah, right, right. And at some point the translator looked at me and said, would you stop saying that? You don't even know what I'm saying. Because <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> but it was awkward. <laughs> and it was unusual. And it was hard. And I, and I might imagine in ancient Corinth, uh, as languages were all around the world in that day, and people were uh, melted together, much like we are today, that that gift would have been and could have been incredibly useful, incredibly edifying, and incredibly beneficial to somebody who would have been visiting a congregation on a given week, that they would have still been able to glean something or hear something from the word or from the letter uh, that was being uh, read from or preached on that week. So again, in all of these gifts, as you go through, uh, it's important to remember and realize that within the Christian faith community, we're going to have a number of different views and interpretations and opinions on which gifts are at use, which gifts are not at use. I think what Paul has brought us together around at the beginning of this passage is the most important thing. What are we proclaiming? Who are we celebrating? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. It's for his glory and the common good of those who have gathered. So who in portions or who apportions and empowers 
the various gifts that have been given. For that, we want to look at verse 11. Paul brings this thought to a close in verse 11. He's actually bookended verse 8 and 11 uh, with the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you want to go ahead and, and peek down at verse 11 with me. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. When we consider the gifts then, we remember that these gifts that we have in the church, they're precious. They're good for us. They're manifestations of God's grace among his people. He's giving them. He's empowering them. He is doing it all according to his will. Through the years, I've come to see the gifts as more fluid than concrete. I'll explain that. When I was when I was younger, early in ministry, and even I would say um, uh, early in, in school, I saw the gifts as, okay, I got a gift and that's my gift and it's the gift that I have. And I have to develop it and I have to do all these things to, to, to make it shine within me. And as I've grown and as I've studied and as I've read more, I, I feel I've come to a much more fluid understanding of these gifts, meaning that I believe that God gives his people exactly what we need empowering us for every situation and circumstance that he positions us in. And I can say that because I have watched, uh, particularly, uh, there's been a few men in my life who I've watched what would be their gifts change as they've changed in the faith or as the Lord has brought different circumstances into their life. I knew a man one time uh, who, who uh, was diagnosed with ALS. And uh, before he had... ALS, uh, he would not have told you that he had the gift of public speaking in any way. That was not a part of his ministry. He knew uh, what his giftedness was and where he was gifted, but not in speaking. Guess what happened to him after he was diagnosed with ALS? That man preached everywhere. He proclaimed God's glories everywhere on stage. And, and he, that would be one of the first things that he would share. And so I've begun in, in my walk with Christ to see these gifts as given more fluidly. In different parts in my life, perhaps God's gifting me in ways that I wasn't gifted in this part of my life because it's a different circumstance, a new circumstance. Things have changed and he's giving me exactly what I need right now for this moment to work through this season. And when I go into the next season of my life, perhaps those things will be laid aside and the Lord will sow in me a different set of gifts that I'll need to move through that season. So I do not perceive then that these gifts, and I don't perceive that Paul intended to say that these gifts were personally given as once and for all, but rather as needed for the immediate task at hand, God equips and works through us in the gifts that he gives us in the moment we need them in order to build up his body, which is the church. So we ask, how might we live as disciples of Jesus and function together as his church In an overwhelmingly unbelieving world. And I might say from our text today, we could say this. We celebrate God's grace by using our gifts as given through and empowered by the Spirit. Building one another up in love for the common good. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you uh, for its beauty, for its majesty. Thank you for the gifts, the good gifts. Uh, that you give us. Uh, One of uh, those ways that we celebrate you, uh, we're going to 
uh, practice here very soon, and that's in communion, where we remember and we proclaim uh, Jesus' death. And Lord, we want to make sure, as we were challenged over the last few weeks in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that we are doing this today with the right spirit and the right attitude, that uh, we are not thinking of ourselves as better than anyone else, but in humility we're considering others as better than ourselves, that we are inspecting and judging our own hearts, that we are looking inside of ourselves and Uh, We are entering into this time with a heart and a humility that says, Lord, uh, change us from the inside so that we might be the salt and the light that you desire us to be in the communities that you've placed us in.